1970, Franklin Graham went on a mission trip to the country of Jordan in the Middle East. He was staying at a missions hospital, and the missionary founders had reported and said that they had a bill for medicine that they could not afford. It totaled $1,335. That day was Friday, and they began to humbly pray, Lord, this is your hospital. We cannot afford this bill. Your name Your stake, your glory is at stake if we do not pay this bill. They were worried, they were anxious, but they decided to pray about their concern. Now, for many people, maybe $1,335 is not a lot of money. But in 1970, that was quite a bit of money. So I converted it to today's money, and that's just shy of $10,000. And as Franklin watched, he doubted that the money would come through. He didn't really think that this bill was going to be paid in time. But in Monday's mail, a check for exactly $1,335 was received, and it was a miracle. Now, for many people that, you know, we would give thanks and praise to God for that. But Franklin, as he discovered, he discovered that the check would have been mailed prior to the prayer because mail isn't delivered over the weekend and it had to go across the sea. He discovered that the check was mailed well in advance before the prayer, which reaffirmed that God hears, God listens, God cares. God provides to those that are faithful and put their trust in Him. Walter A. Mueller is quoted as saying, Prayer is not merely an occasional response to which we respond when we're in trouble. No, prayer is a life attitude. And so if I was to ask you, when situations go differently than you thought, you know, things come out of left field, do you tend to get a little anxious, a little bit worried? Or are you someone that, you know, you're you're quick to listen, pray, and trust that even though things around me may seem out of control, I trust that God is still in control and that he still has a plan in the midst of uncertainty. I'm here to tell you that we can trust God because God sees things from an entirely different perspective than we do. And we can trust that he's working out a plan even if we don't understand what's going on. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because God sees things from an entirely different perspective than we do. Isaiah talks about his ways, his thoughts are higher than our own. And I've often heard it said that it's not that our perspective is wrong, what we're experiencing is real and emotions. It's not that our perspective is wrong, it's that it's not complete just yet. God isn't done writing the story, and we can trust that God has a plan ultimately for our good. This morning, we're continuing our series, Move Forward. Why? Because hope is here. 
The premise is that Jesus is our hope. He is the one we put our trust in and believe that God can bring good from any situation. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things out for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Many examples in the Bible there are of God bringing really good from really bad situations. We can look in the book of Genesis. If, some, if people know about the man named Joseph, you know, he was sold into slavery by his brothers and then he was promoted to a high position in Egypt and then he dropped right back down. He was thrown into prison and then he got back up to the second highest position in all the land. And when his brothers confronted him again, they didn't recognize him. But this is what he said. He said, you intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. The saving of souls. For the Christian, there is tremendous reason to be optimistic and hopeful. Why? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe God is the source of eternal, lasting hope, and he is the one who fills us which helps us understand there is a quantity to hope, joy, and peace. And the requirement to experience more joy and peace in our life is to trust Him. Trust Him more. Today we will discover how Jesus can help us move forward from anxiety into hope. Anxiety into hope. Now there are legitimate worries in this world. Maybe an upcoming surgery or a conversation. Maybe you're moving or maybe somebody is dangling off a cliff and they're just holding on for dear life. Those are legitimate reasons to be worried. But today, for the purpose of today, we're looking at what God has said in his word that he will look after. The specific passage that God will provide for our daily and future needs as we trust and pursue him. So before we go any further, let's define hope. Hope is anticipating a better future. There are better days ahead. For the Christian, this is not a fictitious hope. It's not a wish upon a star. But for the Christian, it's confidence. God is in control. God has a plan. And so let's look and what Jesus is communicating about how we can move from anxiety into hope. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, and it's going to be up on the screens. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field, they grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, 
What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, they run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble as its own. So this is Jesus speaking. It's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And there's many people that are gathered together listening to Jesus' teachings. His disciples are there. The Jews are there. And he refers to a group of people called pagans. And these are people that do not follow. They do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, to understand the context of this day, many people were very poor, and they lived day to day, day to day. They were very poor. And Jesus shows us in this passage of Scripture that those who even have a little bit or those that have a lot and an abundance can become wrongly focused by putting their trust in material things and material solutions rather than on God to meet our needs. In our passage of Scripture, Jesus uses the word worry six times, and six times when he mentions it, it is in a negative context. The Greek word for worry is maramno, maramno which means an anxiousness, an, an uneasiness to, to go to pieces, to be reduced to a puddle. And so what is Jesus telling us not to worry about? What is Jesus telling us not to worry about? Well, he says, don't worry about material and temporary needs, like food and clothing. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. A misinterpretation of what Jesus is saying is that Jesus is not saying to quit your job. Jesus is not saying to quit your job. Jesus is not saying that God will provide a lavish lifestyle to those that are lazy. Rather, we are to be responsible and work, but we trust God to meet our needs. Now, if I was to ask you, if a poisonous snake bit you, would you do nothing? Of course not. You wouldn't do nothing. You'd go to the hospital and you would get the antidote. You'd get anti-venom. Because if you did nothing, poison would kill you. I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this. The same is with anxiety. If we do nothing, and if we just worry, it will spiritually and emotionally kill us. Thankfully, there is an antidote. Thankfully, there is hope. We can recover from anxiety, stress, and worry, which leads us to our first point, which is, Trust God with your needs. Trust God with your needs. Trust. This firm belief in the reliance and the ability of how God is able to do the impossible. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. He says cast which helps us understand it's like a fishing analogy. It means to release, to, to throw upon. It means to give it to God, to entrust into his care. Anxiety, these burdens, these all-consuming thoughts, uh, troubled with our worries and our needs. And he says, why do we do this? 
We do this because God cares for us. God is concerned about. He has a special interest in your life. And so how do we cast our cares? How do we cast our anxiety upon him? Well, if we look in the previous verse, Jesus says, humble yourselves. How do we cast our concerns and our anxiety upon the Lord's? We humble ourselves. We recognize our shortcomings. We recognize maybe our inability to fully provide. And we intentionally release our cares upon God because he is able to do something. Now, there is a difference between worry and concern. Worry typically immobilizes the person. These all-consuming thoughts being reduced to a puddle. But concern typically forces us and moves us to action. You see, worry damages our heart. It consumes our thoughts, and we're typically at a standstill. We don't know where to go next. Whereas concern forces us to look for a solution. And for the Christian, the solution, the antidote to worry is faith in God. For the Christian, the solution, the antidote to worry is faith in God. But this is not blind faith, but to trust God's ability, character, and promise. Faith is demonstrated trust. And Jesus gives us two reasons to trust God with our needs, our physical and material needs and well-being. He says this. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus says, look. This is not a, oh, that's nice. This is a, hmm, like really look at it. Like really understand what Jesus is, under, what he's saying. Like really concentrate with special interest. Jesus is communicating something about how birds, they, they, don't, they do not plant seeds. They don't water. They don't harvest. They don't store away. Yet there is enough each day to be fed. Now I do have to say, if you've ever seen birds before, they're not idle. They don't just sit and wait in their nest. Well, maybe for little baby birds, but, but for the most part, you know, you know they, they actually go out and they hunt and they, and they go get the food and the nourishment that they need. But notice what Jesus says. It is the Father who feeds them. It is God who provides the nourishment, the food that is necessary for them to eat. Again, Jesus is not saying to be inactive or irresponsible. Proverbs 19.15 says this, Lazy people, they sleep soundly, but idleness leaves them hungry. But idleness leaves them hungry. There's a really neat story in the Old Testament that speaks to God's providence, how he provided for his people, the Israelites, in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 16, verse 4, God said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Are to gather enough for that day. In that, in this way, God says, I will test them and see whether they will follow and trust my instructions. The point that God was making was that they were not to take more food for tomorrow. They were not to take more food for tomorrow, which revealed distrust 
in God, but to trust that God would meet exactly what they needed for that day. For the most part, the Israelites trusted and they obeyed God. They went out each morning and each day God did exactly what he said. He rained down bread from heaven, manna, and they gathered enough for that day. Though some people, they didn't fully trust God and they accumulated more food. And the very next day, Scripture says that the food was rotten and they got sick from the spoiled food. But God provided food, bread from heaven, manna, for 40 years. Each and every day, God provided for their daily need. In a few verses earlier in our passage of Scripture, Jesus communicates the Lord's Prayer. You know, how do we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. We are humbly asking and trusting God to provide what he knows we need, not necessarily what we want. Proverbs 30 verse 8 talks about how a wise person asks for just enough, not in abundance. And so if I was to ask you, what is your most prized possession, what might that be? Maybe it's an object. Maybe it's a special person in your life. Maybe it's a financial investment, or maybe it's your business. I bet you probably take care of it, you know, a special interest of it. Maybe a special object, you keep it on your mantle and you put it there so that it's safe, that it won't get broken. Jesus is communicating how God will take care of our needs because of how God views us. Jesus says, are you not much more valuable than they? Referring to the birds of the air. This valuable, Jesus is comparing. He's distinguishing one from another. The birds compared to human beings. Jesus' rhetorical question is contrasting that humans are more valuable because in all of God's creation, only humans are made in the image of God. If God provides for lesser beings that do not labor and do not store and put away, he will provide much more for humans who do responsibly work and who of all creation are most dear to him. You see, a lack of trust in God to provide is essentially distrust in God's love and his ability to do so. There's a very well-known story in Luke chapter 12, 18 about a foolish man who wanted to fill up his barns fuller, fuller, fuller. And he ran out of room and he built more barns. I can put more in. I'm going to put more stuff, more stuff. More stuff and to get, to get more and more abundance of resources to trust in. Yet God was displeased because he was trying to be self-sufficient. He was selfish. He didn't give what he had to other people. He didn't trust God. And as I was thinking about this story with Thanksgiving weekend, Thanksgiving Sunday, what is in our barn? What's in our barn? I don't own a barn, Pastor Jetty. Well, figurative language here. What might we be hoarding? What might we be storing up? What are we trying to get more of to feel 
secure in this world. Our intent might be pure. You know, we're thinking, we're, we're, we're planning ahead. Yet sometimes we fail to see that we're just as guilty of hoarding and trusting in our own resources rather than trusting in God to provide. The second illustration that Jesus uses to place our trust in God to meet our needs is what he says about this. He says, why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field, they grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? For someone looking in on this, you know, for us today, it might seem as though Jesus is not very sympathetic. You know, in the context of that day, people only had one pair of clothes, maybe two. But for the most part, what they had on their body was what, what they had for clothing. And Jesus used, why do you worry? Why do you have this anxiousness? Why are you troubled in your spirit? And he uses a similar word that he used earlier when he said, look at the birds. Now he's saying, see how the lilies of the field grow? Observe, understand, learn from them. Because Jesus is using the same reasoning to trust God. He's using the lesser to greater argument. You know, the birds and the grass and the field, you know, they're lesser compared to how God views human beings. Of course, Jesus is maybe being a little sarcastic here. Of course, you know, the lilies of the field, they don't spin and make their own clothing. Rather, they are rooted in place. They are clothed exactly how God wanted them to be. And as I was thinking about this, I think there's some imagery here. I think there's some imagery here. Maybe we need to root ourselves in God. Maybe we need to trust Him exactly where He has us, because maybe there's a purpose and a plan for Him to provide. The point is this. God clothes. He gives beauty to a short-lived flower, and God gave me this truth this week. How much more will he clothe, take care of those he wants to spend eternity with? How much more will he clothe and take care of those he wants to spend eternity with? God cares. We can trust that God will provide. One time I had a family member who was in need. One time I had a family member who was in need and they needed to have their muffler fixed. The mechanic told them that it was going to be $318, but they didn't have a dime in the bank account. So the mechanic could have said $3,000. It didn't make any difference. And so they decided to pray about their need. They didn't tell anyone about their financial need. And over the next three days, God sent four people and they received $320 dollars. Not just 318, 320 dollars, and they were able to pay for their muffler to be fixed, and the money stopped coming in. I'm here to tell you, God cares. I'm here to tell you, 
God provides. And even if he doesn't in the way that we think he should, we believe that God's grace is sufficient in every season of life. Oswald Chambers is quoted as saying, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. The pursuit, the trust in earthly security is what non-Christians tend to do, but it's not what God expects of his children. Jesus says, for the pagans, they run after these things, but it is not what God expects for his children. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus uses the word pagans, people who do not have an active relationship or faith in Jesus to provide. He said they, they run after the present tense to, to strive for, to desire, to search intently for this. They wish for these more material things, to put their trust in temporary things that are here today and maybe provide and help for just a moment, but it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And Jesus seems to indicate the cause for worry and pursuit over material and temporary things is really rooted in a lack of confidence in God. That this is a faith-based problem. Think about the story of the rich young ruler. He wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus told him to sell everything that he had to come follow him. And when he weighed the pros and cons, he decided to not trust Jesus. He decided to continue to trust in what he had. A misinterpretation of that scripture is that Jesus is not telling us to sell everything that we have and go follow him. But it was true for that individual because they put their whole trust in what they had. And Jesus said, no, you need to put your whole trust in me first. Jesus said in our passage of scripture, you of little faith, this trust is in low quantity. Jesus has repeatedly said, I tell you, look, see, why do you worry? The phrase little faith appears five times in the New Testament. And each time it is Jesus rebuking the problem of not trusting him or not doing what he's asking them to do, to apply, to obey what Jesus is asking. The reason why Jesus wants to apply his truth, the reason why Jesus wants us to obey him is not because he's a dictator, but because he doesn't want anxiety to negatively rule and impact our life. Jesus cares. There is a better way. There's a better way that we can experience as we trust and apply what Jesus is saying. There's a really neat story Jesus shares in Matthew 7. And he says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The storms came, but it did not fall because its foundation was upon the rock. But Jesus says, everyone who doesn't put my words into practice is like a foolish man. The storms came and the house fell with a great crash. This is the point Jesus is making. Trust God enough to obey him because it's our foundation that keeps us from crumbling. Trust God enough that God knows what he's doing. Trust God that he knows what he's doing because it's our foundation. As we trust, as we obey, as we build our life upon the solid rock, the firm foundation of who God is, it keeps us 
from crumbling. So what does this mean for us today? Maybe for some of us, we've relied too heavily upon ourselves to accomplish and provide for our families rather than stepping out in faith in what Jesus is asking us to do, to trust him in obedience. Maybe we need to humble ourselves. Maybe we need to ask for forgiveness and release our worries and our concerns to God. Maybe it is a let go to let God. Maybe it's a let go to let God. This doesn't mean a lack of concern or to become careless. But as Christians, we do not need to be overly anxious because we can directly take our worries to God. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Release, trust Him. And the promise is that the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If the birds and the lilies testify to God's power, it testifies equally to God's providence. It's not that we don't work to provide, but the point is is that we do not fret. We do not anxiously worry. We strengthen our faith and trust in God by remembering who God is and how he provides for even the smallest of flowers and animals. And as humans, his greatest creation, how much he cares, we can trust that God will provide exactly what we need. So our first antidote to the poison of worry is to trust God, but it doesn't stop there. Our second point is we pursue God in all seasons of life. We're on the highest mountain, lowest valley, We continue to pursue God. Many people, I'm sure you played this game, hide and go seek. The point of the game was to find the person that that was hiding. And once you found who you were looking for, the game was over. But that's not what I'm meaning about pursue God, that once you find him, okay, found God, go on to my next thing. That's not what I'm saying here. This is not a one-time thing. But this is active and ongoing searching for two specific types of pursuits. Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you. Seek, to search for, to desire, to work for. And Jesus compares the pursuit of pagans to Christians. Pagans, they, they run, they, they trust in their own ability to provide food and clothing. Whereas Christians, they seek and they pursue and they trust God to provide. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. This refers primarily to God's kingly rule. God wants to advance his kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ. He wants everyone to come to know him as personal Lord and Savior. And with it would come the full care and provisions of God. In other words... What does God want to do with me to participate in spreading the good news of Jesus? This may include submitting to God's plan and not ours. Maybe it's a question of priority. Whose will do we follow? Maybe more specifically, whose agenda are we promoting? Are we focused on our own temporary kingdom? You know, I want to leave a good legacy Or are we pursuing God's eternal kingdom that people may come to know him, the hope of Jesus? 
But there's also a second pursuit of not just pursuing what God wants to do with us, but pursuing his righteousness, our next passage of Scripture. It refers to the change that God wants to do within our life, our character, our priorities, our attitudes, our mindsets, our behaviors to become pure and holy like his son, Jesus Christ. What unrighteous thing does he want to take out of us? And what righteous thing of his son, Jesus, does he want to put in us? In other words, what does God want to do in me to be a more accurate reflection of Jesus? This happens as we continue to surrender to Jesus being Lord number one of our life. You see, for the Christian, it's about a denial of self. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Nobody who follows Jesus can hold on to their own agenda. They must willingly sacrifice their plans and intentionally pursue God, even if we don't fully understand what God's doing, but we trust that God has a plan. You see, when God's people seek these two big priorities, his kingdom, his righteousness, generally speaking, God's people will be taken care of. They'll experience more of God's provision and blessings in this life. But to be true to Scripture, there are times that maybe God allows us to go through hard times, poverty or challenges. And maybe this is being done in God's wisdom to mature us or maybe to test our faithfulness. We can even look at the Job in the Bible. Even the Apostle Paul went through challenging times. He said, I've gone through being hunger, naked. I've been, been gone through being mistreated. But he said in Philippians 4.12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And it was a reliance upon God and trust in pursuit of Him. In just a moment, we're going to watch a quick video clip. You're going to take a listen to a time in my parents' life when it would have been very easy to allow for them to allow worry and fear to paralyze them into not following Jesus. Yet they willingly sacrificed trust and pursued God even though they had no idea what was going to happen next. Check out this video. working in the photography business and my wife Helen was a nurse and uh, life was pretty easy. We were doing very, very well in, in business and one day God spoke to me and said that he wanted me to be involved as a pastor. Well, I knew that would mean giving up photography, giving up the business, selling the house, Helen quit nursing. Uh, it made no sense whatsoever to give up a job that was paying $125 an hour to go to a, a position that was going to be paying $125 a week. And yet, uh, after wrestling with God about it, we decided that uh, we wanted to trust Him and do exactly what He was asking us to, to do, and trust in the character of God, the provision of God, the abilities of God to look after us. And so we did. We sold the house, sold the business, helped quit nursing, and prepared for ministry, and we did go to Canada to, to plant the church. And we saw the provision of God in so many amazing ways, ways that He provided for housing and meals, 
Uh, one day I even needed a pair of rubber boots and God provided that. One time we needed a sandbox and God provided that. I mean, just amazing stories that God proved that he was trustworthy. Even when we didn't know what he was going to do, he had a plan and he was worthy of our trust. So what does this mean for us today? Maybe for some who are here today, there have been a time when we knew what God was asking us to do. We knew what God was asking us to do, to step out in faith and pursue his revealed will. Maybe it was to leave behind a bad attitude or a destructive habit. Maybe God was prompting you to become more generous, forgiving, patient, less judgmental, to release control into God's hands. Maybe it was to serve him in some special capacity or specific ministry area. We knew what God was asking us to do, but instead we gave way to fear, worry, and anxiety. We began to doubt God's ability to look after us, to lead us, to provide, to care. And we hesitated and we backed away from what God was asking us to do. The only antidote to the poison of worry and stress and anxiety is to inject faith in God back into your life. Again, this is not blind faith. This is demonstrated trust in trusting God's ability, character, and promise. What he has done in the past, he can do in the present and future. Our God is not confined to time or space. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. We can trust and pursue God that he has a plan. Remember, we walk by faith, not by sight. Even though we don't fully understand, we trust and pursue God. So what have we been talking about? We're talking about trust God with your needs. The point is that God doesn't want us to find security in material and temporary things, but to trust God first. Trust God first. Our second point was to pursue God in all seasons of life. The point is, don't let fear and anxiety stop you from pursuing God, but feed your faith, starve your doubts. Feed your faith. Who is God? What is he about? What he has done in the past, he can do in the present and the future. Starve your doubts. Get back from me, Satan. Get back from me, Satan. I trust God. Pursue what God wants to do in and through you for his name and his glory. So with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, as we take in just these next moments here, what does God want us to do? Maybe for this first moment, this Thanksgiving Sunday, why don't we take a moment just to express our sincere thanks to God, his past and his present provisions, the way that he took care. He did the impossible. He provided. He supplied. It was a miracle. So why don't we take just a moment just to express our sincere thanks to God.
1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But equally important as giving thanks, God invites us to present our requests to Him. To not be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present, release your concerns, let go to let God It doesn't mean we become idle or careless, but we continue to follow and pursue what God is asking us to do. We let go to let God. And so take a moment to present your cares, your worries, and your concerns to God. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We believe you are an ever-present help in times of trouble. Your word reminds us to be still and know that I am God. Jesus, we anchor ourselves in who you are. You are a solid rock, a firm foundation, and we reaffirm our hope and our trust in you. God, you have a plan. We can trust you. We can continue to pursue you because you are faithful and you are our hope. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.